Each spring, Pensacola Christian College hosts the Enrichment Retreat designed for pastors, ministry leaders, and church staff to enjoy a time of rest and to be refreshed by the Word of God. Today's message was from a past Enrichment Retreat keynote speaker. Visit enrichmentretreat.com for details or to learn more about the upcoming retreat. Galatians chapter number 4. Forgive me as I sip coffee. I'm not sipping coffee for the message. I'm sipping it for the road trip afterwards. So uh, I pray that uh, God will keep us alert. We are literally hopping in the vehicle and headed back to Atlanta right after I finish where I'll be preaching tonight and tomorrow and then in North Carolina on Friday evening. So we covet your prayers. Thank you for being here. Keep your seats as we read this passage of Scripture. I'm just going to read one verse in verse number 19. My little children of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. Can we read that together? Let's read it. My little children of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. Of course, his desire is listed in the verse afterwards, but I want to focus on verse 19. Let's pray together. Father... In these next few moments, might you be glorified, might you be magnified, and might we be changed. Cleanse me of sin, empty me of self, and fill me with your spirit. Help me to speak what you would have me say in a way that you would be pleased. Thank you for the message we just heard. My, how we've been challenged. In Jesus' name, amen. I heard somebody say, the ministry would be great if it weren't for people. <laughs> it really is the people business, isn't it? I talk to young men that are aspiring to ministry, and sometimes it's, it's easy to get overwhelmed and inundated with, with all of the planning and all of the preparing and all of the packaging, and you want things to be right. right? By the way, when we do things for the Lord, we ought to do them well. Shame on us if we think we can't do good at anything else, so we're just getting the ministry. Or, you know, nobody else will let us qualify, so we'll get in the ministry. We can't, uh, nobody else will let us get up there and do it, but in the church, everybody can do it. No, we're doing it for the Lord, and there ought to be a level of excellence. But sometimes I think if we're not careful, we would get so focused on programs and responsibilities and social media and advertising and decor and activities that we forget. Ministry is about people. And no greater minister, by the way, when we talk about minister in this sense, we're talking about servant, men, women, boys, and girls. We're all ministers. No greater minister in the Bible than the Apostle Paul. It just seemed like everywhere he went, he was talking to people. He spent whole chapters in the Word of God where he just listed people. It showed us how many people Paul impacted and how many people impacted Paul over the years growing up in a pastor's home I was listening to Pastor Rasmussen last hour about growing up in a pastor's home and I often remember day after day somehow our family was connected to people somebody was coming over someone was on the phone we were going to visit someone. We were staying with someone. Someone was staying with us. Somebody we knew was in the hospital. Mom and dad were attending 
a cancer appointment with someone else. Just about every day we were connected to people. And when you deal with people, you deal with personalities. Somebody say amen. amen. And just when you think you've seen them all, there are about 12 more. <laughs> and sometimes trying to balance all of that with, I'm supposed to be doing something. I'm supposed to be preaching something. I'm supposed to be planning something. I'm supposed to be going somewhere. I'm supposed to be involved in some task. I am engaged in some endeavor. But in the midst of all of these some things, there's a bunch of somebodies. And every once in a while, we get to working with people and we start asking ourselves this kind of question. Will they ever get it? Will they ever get it? I mean, I've I've been at this with this person. I've been at this with this couple. How many times? They've been in my office. They've been in my office. They've been in my office. They've been in my, they're in my dreams. They've been in my office. They've been in my office. They've been in my office. We talked about this last time. I told you what to do. I told you how to do it. I told you to record it on your phone. You're back in my office. Or young man, we talked about this. We talked about this. I told you, don't go there. Don't date her. Don't buy that. Don't listen to that. We talked about this, and you nodded your head. (laughs) And you're back in my office. You called me about this last month. Guess what? It's the same answer in March that it was in February. As a matter of fact, it's the same answer in 2019 that it was in 2018. Why are you calling me? That's what you're thinking. Sometimes that's what I'm saying. And you're pastoring people. And here they are, not with new problems, the same problem. And you think, are they ever going to get it? I mean, what? How else can I say it? Uh, maybe I'll just yell a little bit louder. I'll sweat a little bit harder. I'll come down off the pulpit. I'll put my finger. No, no, no. I'll get on the internet and come up with some real moving illustrations. And then you look up during the invitation and the man you preach the message for ain't moving. The guy who you think is best Christian in the world, he's on the altar. Oh, God, help me do better. You're going, go back to your seat, get him. (laughs) You are cool, man. Listen, you are cool, man. I love you. Sit down. (laughs) You don't belong at the altar. (laughs) Go get him. And you think, I, can, I couldn't have said it any more clearly than that. And then I read Galatians chapter 4, and I look in on the life of the greatest Christian in the Bible, and I think, I'm not experiencing any new problem. He was dealing with the same thing. Just working at it, just working at it, just working at it, just, just working at it, just, just working at it. And then I start thinking, you know, That must be what God is saying about me. I'm just working at it. I'm just working at it. I'm just working at it. You know, you know, we don't get it very quickly either. But he keeps working at it. I want to look at this verse and challenge us about people. To stay with it. How not to give up. You know, in the ministry, somebody walks in and immediately you think, oh, my goodness, that's a gold mine. I can't wait to see what God's going to do in his life. And he flops. 
Somebody else goes in and walks in and you go, mm-mm, mm-mm. No, 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 no. Ain't no way that God is going to make something. And, and that person turns out to be the greatest Christian in the church. And we're reminded that it's never about us. It's always about Jesus. So I want you to encourage, to encourage you in verse number 19. Notice the first three words, my little children. There's an intimate relationship here. My little children. These were Christians in the region of, regions of Galatia that, that Paul had ministered to. They had gotten saved. They accepted Christ as their Savior. And, and, and now Paul was away from them. And, and there were false teachers and Judaizers and those that were teaching heresy that had crept in among them. And these people were affecting people in Paul's life in a negative way. And it concerned him. So he picked up his pen. He didn't say, you people. He didn't say, hey, hey, y'all stubborn members. Listen to Paul as he talked to people that were messing up. My little children. Now, now think about this. There was an intimate relationship. This intimate relationship with his little children was a divine blessing. Listen to me. People are blessings in our lives. You think about it as a pastor. Now watch this now. Here's, here's pastoring 101. Don't get too close to people. Well, Jesus must not have been a good pastor. I mean, how, how are you really, how are you really going to never give up on anybody if there's always a distance? My little children. I, he, he looked at the people in his life as a divine blessing. Are your members a blessing or are they just someone you put up with? The, 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 there's a person calling. Do, do you view that person as a, a task, as a chore, or as a blessing? I'm not saying it's not work. I'm not saying it's not difficult. But I'm telling you that the people in our lives are a blessing. We're not just a blessing to them. They are a blessing to us. And an accountability and a motivation and a challenge. And I've got to check myself. You've got to check yourself because sometimes we think, oh, I got to go see this person. I got to work with this person. I got to disciple this person. I got to take time with this person. Uh, wait a minute, wait a minute. We got to start changing the way we view things. They're not just people. They're not just burdens. They're not, no, no, no. They are, they are our little children. It was a divine blessing. Uh, notice, if you would, not only the, the, the divine blessing, but I want you to also notice that a relationship is developmentally built. Um, relationships don't appear, they're developed. And sometimes the reason why we don't have much of a relationship with people is because we've spent very little time developing. We have to take time with people. I mean, they're not going to always get it just because we say it in the pulpit. Sometimes it's going to take dinner, and it's going to take time, and it's going to take hours and hours, and it's going to take phone calls, and it's going to take coffee, and it's going to take riding alongside of them, and it's going to take intentional mentorship. And I'm simply saying he didn't arrive at a title like my little children from just spinning through their church for a couple days and never talking to them again. Who are you connected to? Who, while you're in Pensacola, is on your mind because you have developed a relationship. It took time. 
It didn't voila. It didn't appear. It didn't show up. You didn't all of a sudden just click. There were days and hours and phone calls and car rides and long conversations in the parking lot after everyone had left. And now there's a relationship that brings about a definite burden. That's why I'm writing you. I'm writing you because I care. They asked me, when you started pastoring, what was the biggest difference between traveling all the time and pastoring? Well, I said, when you go all the places, you walk into a church, you leave, and you leave the people there. When you pastor, you leave and you take them home with you. So I'm, so I'm, sta- I'm standing here in the morning, Wednesday morning at Pensacola Christian College. But while I'm standing here, I'm thinking about Ron Miller with scleroderma. I'm thinking about Curtis Banks with this rare cancer that they're testing him to see how they can treat him. I'm thinking about Miss Dawkins, who should have died 20 years ago. She's battled cancer. She's got no arteries in her heart that are working properly. And several weeks ago, she fell down and got a concussion. Her blood pressure has been spiked, but she was in church on Sunday morning. What a blessing. And I'm thinking about Ashley. Ashley had surgery, and, and it didn't go right. She's going to have surgery again, and she's hoping they get it right this time. Her husband stood up Sunday night, said, I've had some past mess ups in my life. And I made that as an excuse as to not do God's call for my life. God called me to preach at 12 and I've put it aside because of my mistakes. He stood up Sunday night in testimony time, said, no more putting it aside. I'm going to preach. I'm thinking about Patrick this morning. I sure am. And I'm thinking about Lizette, whose husband up and left her a couple years ago. She's still sitting on the second row in our deaf ministry, a deaf woman, trying to find out if God still has a purpose for her life. I sure am. And I'm thinking about Latanya who had brain surgery and and Curtis who had a tumor in his brain. And I'm thinking about Barbara Berry who went in Monday morning to find out the cancer has not come back. And Kelvin Gunn who had recurring cancer just a couple months ago. They just checked him and said, we don't know where it is. It's gone now. I'm thinking about Kelvin and I'm thinking about his son Coulter who just left the church to go somewhere that's not good for him. I'm thinking about him. Because we've developed a relationship. I'm in Pensacola. But they are too. Do you go to bed and you can't get somebody off your mind? And then you wake up and you pick up right where you left off. And when you see them dangling around in something that's no good, you've got to do something about it. And so Paul says, I'm not writing to you because I'm a blogger who's looking for somebody to criticize. I'm writing to you because you're my children and I care. We've got to get back to the point in ministry where we have developed relationships with people that move us to action. My little children. There's an intimate relationship. Notice, secondly, there's An intense repetition. An intense repetition. Of whom I travail in birth again. (laughs) And all of the ladies say, "Mm, travail in birth. Again. (laughs) I mean, could you imagine now that Paul likened discipleship to the travail of childbearing? 
Asher, ladies, uh, when you were having a baby, were there any painful moments? Some of you are thinking, were there any that were not painful? Can I ask you a question? Does discipleship ever hurt you? Or are you, are you listen, are you, are you so formal that you never make yourself vulnerable for that? Do you ever pick up someone that's not on the way? Drop off someone that does not pay gas money? Do you, ever, listen, listen, do you ever spend something in ministry for which you don't turn in a receipt? Or is that too much pain? Does it hurt? Do you, ever, do you ever miss a meal? Not because you're fasting, but because you're not hungry, because you're burdened. I travail in birth. Yeah, I'm thinking about Kelvin and Barbara Berry and Patrick and Tanya, and Curtis Banks. Yeah. But I'm thinking about Sean. Sean's not in church anymore. That hurts. Kevin's somewhere else. That hurts. No question. Ronaldo saw him somewhere. He's playing ball, but he's not serving God. That hurts. You know why it hurts? Because they slept at my house. They rode in my car. Some of them are baptized. And they're not serving God anymore. That hurts. But you know what it says to me? There'll be painful moments in discipleship. There'll be some times that people do some knucklehead things, and the first thing you'll think is, I'm done with you. Uh, you said that before. No, but I mean it this time. Painful. How about some perplexing memories? I travail in birth. Again, ouch, why is this happening? Perplexing. What were you thinking? And now that social media exists, you can find out what somebody's doing that you care about really quickly. And you're looking at a post going, it was dumb that you did it. It was dumber that you posted it. (sighs) And I'm no dummy. I'm going to talk to you about it. And yet, I mean, I'm talking about people that know better. And and, and Paul's writing to them, wait a minute now. I mean, there was a time you loved me so much you were willing to pluck your own eyes out and give them to me. And now you've got people who've come in, who've talked to you, and they've got you turning you you against me. And I don't understand. Am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you, are you mad with me? Isn't it amazing how when the wrong people creep into the lives of people that we care about, all of a sudden those people become their friends and we become their enemies when the truth of the matter is those people are their enemies and we're their friends. And now you're yelling at me when you ought to be loving me and you're loving somebody when you need to be yelling at them. But I can't give up because I'm trying to give birth. Again. Again. Persistent maintenance. I travail in birth again. Again. I'm hurting again. We're talking about this again. Dealing with this again. Look again at the verse, would you? 
my little children. There's an intimate relationship. Of whom I travail in birth again. There's an intense, intense repetition. But notice the last statement. Until Christ be formed in you. There's an intended result. Watch this now. We're going somewhere. We're going somewhere. Don't don't we have to remind ourselves when we're dealing with people, we're going somewhere. I don't know when we're going to get there, but we're going somewhere. We're going somewhere. Till, Till Christ be formed in you, till Christ be formed in you, till Christ be formed in you. By the way, that's a fulfilling process, till Christ be formed in you. Have you ever worked with someone so long and thought that somebody would never get it, and then one day a light bulb came on? Doesn't it feel good? Will you ever get it? I can remember working with some folk and thinking, this is not going to work. This is not going to work. I'm going to kill you. I'm going to go to jail. And neither one of us is going to be able to serve God. It's not going to work. You know what some of those people are doing today? They're preaching. Pastoring. Leading their families. I can think of some young ladies in our church. They just, they just couldn't get it together. They went looking for themselves, and while looking for themselves, they kept dating a different guy. It's amazing how many mistakes you'll make trying to find you. And I think they'd ever turn around. And I'm telling you, some of them are virtuous, modest, faithful wives right now. And they're mamas, mamas that love the Lord. I'm, I'm telling you. Christ is being formed in them. Listen to me. I I look out from the pulpit on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. I see them and I see Jesus. And I start going in my mind. Boy, I remember when she got here. I remember when they got there. I mean, when you're doing a wedding for some, some folks and you thought, not only will they not get married, they won't even be in church. And there they are, both of them standing up there on a wedding day, excited about being wed together and excited about serving God. And I'm telling you, it makes all that pain worth it. You college students, you're thinking about ministry right now. And, and you're taking classes on finances and counseling and polity and all these things. You need to learn them. But I'm telling you, you better latch on to somebody. You better learn to love on somebody. Better learn to pour your life into somebody. Better learn to give yourself to somebody. Paul made a great statement in 2 Corinthians. He said, I I will gladly spend and be spent of you. Though the more I be loved, the less I be loved. He said, but I seek not yours, but you. I don't want what you got. I want you. Solomon said, my son, give me thine heart and let thine eyes observe my way. They don't care how much we know if they don't know how much we care. And sometimes we're so busy. We're, we're so caught up in the, the activities of ministry. And we've got to study. We've got to go somewhere. And we've got to do something. Listen, we need to take time with people. I was speaking in Atlanta yesterday at a fellowship meeting. And I was dealing with this, this overwhelming fear in our movement today over where 
Millennials will take it. Everybody's worried about that. Oh, my goodness. Look at them. They wear their hair funny. They wear their clothes funny. You know, there was a day when your pants were high, you got talked about. Now they buy them high. You know? I'm serious. You had holes in your pants. You were you're trying to cover them up. Now you buy them with holes. I mean, things are changing. And I talk to pastors all the time. Where are they going to go? What are they going to do? They're going another direction. I say, you know, one of the things we're missing in a movement is a spirit of mentorship for those who've done it to pour their lives into those who are going to do it. And I've, I listen, I've talked to young men who said, I've, I've grown up listening to this man. I've, I've always desired to, to meet this man. I finally met this man. This man shook my hand, wouldn't even look at me. And my hero, I found out, is a jerk. And then that guy goes off somewhere and we say, those rebels, they don't love God. They don't do anything for God. Maybe you don't either. You think Jesus would have looked at somebody's hand, looked at somebody's eyes when he shook his hand? You think when he was staring down the eye of that woman caught in adultery? No, 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 not just an adulterer, caught in adultery. And the stone thrower is about ready to kill her lawfully. And he says, he who is without sin, let him cast the first stone. You think he was looking around the corner to see which Pharisee was going to spot her with him? Or you think he was looking her in the face and saying, I don't condemn thee, sister, but let me tell you something. Go and sin no more. That Samaritan woman with five husbands, the one she had wasn't hers. You, you know, Jesus, Jesus wasn't going, now let me hand you this real quick and get out of here because uh, where I come from, we're not supposed to be talking to people like you. No, 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 no. He sat down there right beside her. And let me tell you something, she got saved and went into town and said to all them other men, come see a man which have told me everything about myself. Is not this the Christ? And let's not forget, there was a great evangelistic revival that erupted among the Samaritans because of the testimony of this woman that most of the religious crowd wouldn't even talk to. But I'm telling you, Christ was being formed in her. He was building a relationship. You know, Matthew sitting at his seat of custom, ripping people off. Jesus finds him and says, follow me. And the next thing you know, Matthew's, I don't have any friends, but other people that rip people off. Well, good, invite them. I'll come there and eat with them. Amen. I mean, who better to get other sinners than another sinner? Bring them here. Invite me over there. We can kill a bunch of tax collectors with one stone <laughs> with the gospel. Amen. And sure enough, and people couldn't understand it. People couldn't understand. Pharisees always have a problem with you pouring your life into somebody besides them. And somebody's going to tell you they ain't working. They ain't working. They ain't working, but they are. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you, when you start seeing carnality shed off and Christ-likeness added in, it's worth it. But God have mercy, it takes time. It takes a whole lot of time. God has blessed us over the years, and we're thankful. As a family, God has given us four sons he's brought into our home, our very own. And I remember each of them as they came. They came with a lot of baggage. And uh, some baggage we couldn't fix very quickly. Some baggage they had to drop at the door. Somebody say, amen. You know, you're in my house. You know, some things ain't going to go. Some things just not going to go. 
And uh, I remember Deontay's in here, my son. I remember Deontay, where he came from, and uh, he had these big old diamond studs in his ear. You know, thought he was doing something. And I said, so what, what's, going, what's going on with the earrings? He said, well, you know, everybody telling me they look good. I said, well, I'm, I'm the pastor. If I had them, would you, would you think that would be right for the pastor? He said, no way. Listen, if it ain't right for me, why is it right for you? You're trying to get in the fast lane or the slow lane serving God. I'm trying to get in the fast lane. Oh, really? About five minutes later, we were riding up the road. The window went down. Chucked him out the window. Well, you say, well, it was just earrings. No, no, it was just something going on in the heart. Well, I don't really. I wouldn't judge about it. Well, he's about to be a senior in Bible college. Something happened. Something happened. I reckon the pre-decision was the decision. By the way, what if the first thing I said to him when I first laid out on, eyes on him was, what you doing with them earrings in your He probably wouldn't be sitting here today. You know, we, we are so good at trying to make non-Christians be Christians before they ever get saved. You, th- you, think, you think those Galatians met Paul on the first day and looked like Jesus then? Come on, we met, Je- we, met, we met Jesus a long time ago, and we're still trying to struggle looking like Jesus. And, and listen, some of our churches would never let a lost person sit there long enough to get saved because there are too many Pharisees looking at them on the way up the aisle. And by the way, if you want to change that culture in your church, you start. You walk down there, let all your people go, I'm talking to them, so should you. Pour your life into somebody. We're so worried about being seen with somebody that doesn't look saved. How are we going to reach people if all we ever do is talk to saved people? My little children. What kind of little children? Children caught up in idolatry. Children caught up in mess. Children that were, were, were believing stuff that was nonsense, but they had become an intimate part of Paul's life. He had poured his life into their life, and now he's writing to them away from them. I may be gone, but you'll never stop being my kids. Here I am again, men and women, back at this thing, trying to get you to get it. And I'm thankful over the years with God's help that he's convinced me not to give up. I don't want to get to heaven and find out I quit too soon. Now, somebody in your church you're thinking about this morning that uh, your personality and his personality just don't mesh. You want them to be like Jesus, but you've just concluded it's not in your best interest to be the one that gets him there. There's got to be somebody else in the church who can work better with him. Let me tell you something. He's not the only one that needs to get worked on. You do too. And God has taught me a whole lot about me from people I was teaching about him. I learned a burden. He gave me a burden for fatherless young men. You know, how is a young man going to be a man if he's never seen a good one? How's a young lady going to reproduce virtue if she's never laid her eyes on virtue? How are people going to build a family if they've never seen a Christian family? By the way, how is the kid in your bus ministry have a track to end up at Pensacola Christian College 
if he never gets more of church than Sunday morning in a B Sunday school class. The rest of your kids didn't get to Bible college with 45 minutes a week. They had 45 minutes plus another hour and a half, plus another hour and a half, plus another hour and a half, plus Bible study, plus teen activities, plus mentor, and they're still knucklehead. And here's this guy with daddy in jail, mama in bed, cousins on drugs, and he gets a select Bible class on Sunday that never teaches much more than Adam and Eve because the kids aren't well behaved long enough to teach them that. You think in four years he's going to be a freshman at Pensacola Christian College? There is no track to get there. You might have to take that young man to your house after Sunday morning and show him what a Christian family looks like sitting down eating dinner and what a man looks like opening the door for his wife and what children look like saying yes ma'am and no ma'am to their parents. Listen to me. We take for granted that everything we know, everybody else has seen. I travail in birth again. He might track some dirt on your carpet and leave a milkshake in your cup holder. He might start blurting out a song in the restaurant that you go, uh, we don't sing that. He don't know any better. He don't know any better. Listen a little bit. Your kids might be singing the same song just under their breath. Yeah, yeah. You think he's the devil. The devil might be them ones. Some people say, we bring them bus kids in our church. They're going to mess up the building. Look at your church about 30 minutes after the service is over and see who's messing up your building. Them little glorified church kids. Them bus kids ain't even there on Sunday night. That's your kids and my kids running that building down. <laughs> the bus kids ain't they ain't there long enough. We don't let them in enough of the building to destroy it. But we just like saying stuff. Truth of the matter is we like to make an excuse because there's certain things we just really don't want to do because they're painful. It costs money. Bus maintenance costs money. Picking up kids costs money. Policing people costs money. Bringing, bringing those folks in there costs money. And after all, it might offend uh, brother so-and-so who's 83 years old who ain't used to it. Brother so-and-so might need to get offended because the church is not about him. It's about him. Capital H. Capital I. Capital M. It's going to take some pain. You might lose some members, lose some friends. You might almost lose your mind. But one of those kids is in Bible college, like Marlon, where Marlon comes from up around the corner here in that community that's fenced and gated in where the cops don't even like to go in. And Marlon's been in school here thanks to Dr. Ruffin. Loves the Lord. When Christ starts getting formed in him, you'll be glad to put gas in them buses. Amen. And listen to me. You're not a good independent Baptist if your bus runs well. Okay? You're not living for God. If you got a good bus that never breaks down, you're living way too comfortable to be sold out to Christ. <laughs> Oh, DeMonte stood up, preached a couple Sunday nights ago. DeMonte's from Southeast Washington. I don't, listen, I don't know right now in my mind 
of anybody that I know right now that I'm thinking of. It's more of a soul winner, soul winner than Demonte. Anybody. You should have heard him preach last Sunday. Kamara just got saved three months ago. He preached last Sunday too. I've never seen his parents. But he was at church on Sunday and Sunday night on youth day and preaching. Preaching. He just got saved. He's preaching. What a blessing. You know why? Because there's a youth director named Andre Wright who never thought he'd be preaching. So I had a stuttering problem. Growing up in the eastern shore, Virginia, near the Tyson chicken plant. He's a black man that doesn't eat chicken on the bone. He can't be saved. <laughs> you, 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 I mean, if you're black and you don't eat chicken on the bone, you, I mean, good night. You've got to be a reprobate. But he doesn't because he grew up near the chicken plant and he watched how the chickens get killed. And so, oh well. I mean, that just inspired me. But, uh, Man, and uh, but he's chicken fingers from the same chicken. But anyway, uh, Andre's our youth director, and Andre drives the southeast every Saturday night, picks up Kamari and Demonte, and lets them spend the night over his house. And he has 15, 20 teenagers over his house every Sunday afternoon. They're running down his car, but when Kamari and Demonte are standing up on a platform on a Sunday night preaching the word of God. Instead of selling drugs, I reckon it's worth it. Antoine came to my house one Tuesday morning. Antoine grew up in the community in Northern Virginia. Played ball with him. He's like a cousin to me. And uh, he didn't really want to come to church. Got caught up in that synthetic marijuana. He came knocking on my door on a Tuesday morning. Screaming, I can't take it anymore, I can't take it anymore. Came in the house yelling and screaming. Emotions all affected by the way this stuff affects him. I can't take it anymore, I can't take crying, I can't take it anymore, I can't take it. We got on our knees and said, Antoine, you got to give it to God, you got to give it to God. You got a wife and kids, you're going to destroy their life. He said, I know, you got to give it to God. I'm telling you, you ought to see him in church Sunday morning, Sunday. His daughter, 13 years old, stood up two Sunday mornings ago and gave a testimony. Antoine said, I can't believe it. I not only thought I wouldn't be here, I never thought my kids would be here. I'm telling you, he's serving God. A couple months ago, we went down to Roanoke, and I was going down for a day for three and a half hours. Antoine jumped in the car with me and went down there. He had the time of his life going with the preacher to preach somewhere. Two years ago, he was synthetic marijuana. But God. And if time would permit, I'd tell you a hundred stories like that. Not about me, about God. And how many times, how many times have we said, it ain't worth it. I'm tired of it. You'll never learn until Christ reformed. If you don't get anything this morning, get this. Don't give up on people. God hadn't given up on you. And there's somebody with a little more love, a little more time, a little more development. You're going to start noticing Jesus in them. And everything you did will be worth it.
You've been listening to a message from the Pensacola Christian College Enrichment Retreat. You're welcome to pass this message along to others, but we ask that you do not charge for it without written permission from Pensacola Christian College. If you're a pastor or ministry leader, join us for the next Enrichment Retreat and experience a time of physical rest and spiritual refreshment. To learn more, visit EnrichmentRetreat.com.